Good morning, church family, and Merry Christmas. Yeah. And uh, just before we start the sermon, I uh, a little bit of a, a church address, church church family address. You know, we talked about having an anticipated uh, deficit this year because of the transition, and uh, um, that's that's happened. And but it's happened greater than we had anticipated. So I'm really making this appeal to the church family. If you consider Evergreen SJV your church home, your church family, we'd really pray, ask you to prayerfully consider giving to our church by the end of the year to help offset this deficit. And I don't see why, any reason why we have to concede a deficit. You know, I mean, just as the Lord leads, if this is your home, this is where you're getting fed, this is your church family, this is your source of fellowship, prayerfully consider contributing to this. And so let's pray for this right now. And I also pray for the sermon, but let's pray. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for this time to uh, just worship you, Lord. Christmas is about worship, worshiping you, the King. So Father God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts to worship you with our finances, worship with you with everything we got. So Father, I pray that you will provide for the needs, the fiscal needs of our church family, your church family here at Evergreen SGV. So, Father, I thank you, God. Thank you for the generous, generous, generous people that you have uh, put together here at this church. May this be about you, Lord. Now, Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Thank you for Luke. Thank you for the opportunity to dig into what the heart of Christmas is. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, I pray we'll have a clear picture of who you are through the preaching of your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would infuse the preaching of your word with power so that we could see Jesus more clearly, so we could worship him more clear, uh, purely. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be taking a break out of the gospel of John. John's been a phenomenal journey through the, through the life of Christ. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. And this is going to be the we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, the, where the most glorious announcement of all is made by Gabriel to uh, Mary, how Mary would be the mother of Jesus, our Lord. And the Bible says, this is such an anticipated announcement, the Bible says that even the angels longed to see this, to see what was going to happen, how God would redeem his people. And this is that great announcement. So there, today, the title of our sermon is called The Heart of Christmas. Okay, And the heart of Christmas is worship. So let's rise as we will be at a Luke chapter 1, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. And we're really going to journey through the life of Mary and, and kind of take a snapshot uh, in, in different stages of her life. But we're going to use Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38 as, as a, as a uh, launch pad here. Okay, so Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged or betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed or, or disturbed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who, has called, who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impo- will be impossible with God. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for Luke. Lord Jesus, I pray that we will preach you faithfully, that we will love you more. I pray your family here at Evergreen SGV will be a people that absolutely loves you, Jesus, and that we will become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So this, uh, this narrative starts off with a sixth month. In a sixth month, what sixth month? This is Elizabeth's sixth month of John the Baptist being in her womb. And this was a miraculous conception as well. Elizabeth was in her older age. And beyond childbearing, natural childbearing, and John the Baptist was six months in, in, in Elizabeth's womb. And Gabriel shows up, the messenger of God. Who's Gabriel? Gabriel is one of the mighty archangels of God. Gabriel is known by many commentators as the supreme angel messenger. After all, he has an incredible announcement to make. God uses Gabriel to send the message. Gabriel goes to a, t- a town. The city, it's called city in, in, in my Bible, but more accurately, it's a town okay, of Nazareth in, in Galilee. This is the northern part of Israel. And Nazareth at the time, 2,000 years ago, was a couple hundred people. This is not a big city. This is a small, rural, country town. Okay? And it's kind of obscure. And this isn't going to Hollywood, I mean, Los Angeles or New York or, or Chicago. This is a very obscure city in Israel. And in matter of fact, it was so obscure that it was looked down upon. John 1.46, Nathaniel says to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? All right, this is kind of the sentiment of Nazareth, not a premier city, not a renowned place by any means. Now, Mary... Mary's there, and it says that the angel appears to Mary, and it says Mary was a virgin. What does this mean? Young woman, unmarried girl, never known a man, a virgin. That's what it means, a virgin. And engaged or betrothed, okay? This is not the art contemporary idea of engagement where, you know, a man and a woman can be engaged, but you can still break it off. It's not over until, or it's not a done deal until it says, I do. But in this scenario, they were practically married. They were two, two, uh, basically married without consummating the marriage. All right, so this is, they were engaged or betrothed to one another, legally married. And this is, many commentators believe that Mary must have been either 12 or 13 years old at this time. A teenager. I mean, if Mary wasn't in our church, she would be part of Surge right now. Okay, if you can imagine that. A young teenage girl. And they did not live together. Like I said, they were betrothed. And then verse 28, I want to draw our attention to verse 28. And coming in, Gabriel comes into her home, and he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. You are graced. You are blessed, Gabriel tells Mary. The Lord is with you. 
And what was Mary's reaction? Verse 29, it says this. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was, perplexed or greatly disturbed. Okay? But why was Mary so disturbed by this? It seems like a pleasant thing. In her mind, it didn't make sense. This is the type of greeting you give to someone who's renowned, someone not from Nazareth. This is a, a, a young peasant, teenage Jewish girl, uneducated, poor, potentially not even be able to read. This is who this angel Gabriel is speaking to. So in her mind, it doesn't make sense. Like, what, what do you mean, favored one? I'm just a Jewish girl from Nazareth. And she also understood that she was not holy. She was a sinner just like you and me, needing grace. And in verse 30, the angel Gabriel, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. I guess. I mean, the angel shows up, right? I think all of us would be terrified, especially someone like Gabriel, right? So there, there's all kinds of feelings, all kinds of emotions going on in the heart of this young teenage Jewish girl named Mary. But he says to him, You have found favor with God. You've been graced. God chose you to be used in a special, unique way. You, you receive unmerited favor from God. And as, as I read this, Noah came to mind. You know, in Genesis chap, uh, chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Noah found favor with God. Obviously, we know that Noah wasn't a perfect man. Obviously, we know Noah was a sinner just like you and me who needed grace and redemption. But God used Noah in a very special, unique way to save the human race from the flood. God chose, God favored Noah, graced him to be used in this way to build an ark to save the human race. In similar fashion, God chose Mary, favored Mary as a vessel to, to carry baby Jesus. This is how our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be born and, and become one of us. And so Mary had this favor. And today, since the object of Christmas is clearly Jesus, the birth of the King, this is what Christmas is about. It's about ushering the birth of Jesus, King Jesus. Since this is what Christmas is about, the heart of Christmas for Christians, followers and lovers of Jesus Christ, is worship. We worship the King. So our proper response to Christmas is worship. And we're going to see how Mary, God used Mary and her response to worshiping the king. And as she worships the king in verse 38, she shows that she obeys the king. This is worship. When you obey your king, you worship. Verse 38 of chapter 1 of, of Luke. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. Bond slave. What this in the original language means, female slave. I am the slave of God, she's saying. I am your slave, God, she's saying. She's totally submitted to the king. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. May it be done, just as you have said, God, through Gabriel. She, <clears throat> she, she showed immediate obedience. Mary understood some of the implications, though. Right? She's worshiping the king by obeying the king, but she understood some of the implications of her immediate submission. I mean, perhaps her name, Mary, may have foreshadowed what, was gonna, what her life was going to be like. Mary is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Miriam. All right? And Miriam carries the meaning of bitterness or bitter. And her life would be very hard. In, in, in a worldly sense, her life would be extremely hard. 
but she would live a blessed, most blessed life. Like I said, this is a 12 or 13-year-old teenage girl. Right? She's basically told you, you're going to be a mother. And Mary does count some of the costs, I believe. I mean, by her saying yes, she said yes without even consulting Joseph. All right? This is saying, God, all right, you're my God. I trust you. I, I'm going to do what you say. I'm going along. I'm consenting to what you said. And Joseph, you know, he, she didn't know what was going to happen by saying yes. She didn't know if Joseph would stick around or not. She knew Joseph. Joseph was a man who understood the standards of the law of the Old Testament. I mean, in Matthew 1, 19, it says that Joseph, when, she found, when he found out she was with child, she planned to, he planned to put her away secretly, all right? Not, not wanting to disgrace or wanting to be gracious to her. So she, Mary, Mary had an idea, potentially, I might be a single mother. I might be a single mom. And she would have been right unless God another, uh, sent another messenger to Joseph, hey, this is my plan, this is what's going on. And Joseph obeyed God in that way and, and stood, by, stood by her side. But Mary, I believe, was prepared to obey God with an extremely high cost. Even she was even potentially risking death. The stigma of an unwed mother and the appearance of having committed adultery, she could have been stoned to death. So she said yes to God, understanding some incredible implications here, hard things. And what I just, as I think about Mary, as she potentially thought about living life as a single mother, I think to my days of recruiting and, and going to the combine. You know, the combine is basically in the National Football League. We invite all the college prospects, and we, we of course, we time them, we, we uh, height and weight them, and, and see how strong they are and all those things. But anyone could see that. Anyone could see the charts. Okay, this guy's pretty fast. This guy's strong. This guy's tall. I, I, anyone could see that, right? But what's hard to see is you look into the heart of people, hard into the man. Do I want this man to be part of our team? Does it, what type of competitor is this guy? So the type of questions that you ask is critical as you try to unpack and uncover what's inside here, the heart of a person. So one of the questions we oftentimes ask is, hey, tell us about your upbringing. Tell us about your childhood. And in many cases, okay, a lot of these, a lot of the athletes would say, you know, I, I grew up in a single home. Uh, my mom took care of us, or my grandma uh, took care of us, and they'd kind of give testimony of what it was like. You know, my mom worked two to three jobs. She woke up early in the morning uh, to go to work, and then when we got home, she made us dinner. And then she, at night, she had to work another job to support the family. I mean, we, you hear stories of like, yeah, my mom, she, she sacrificed so much for me. And like she, she wouldn't have, get new, new clothes or enjoy good, nice things because she was saving up money to buy those Jordans that she wanted to get for me on Christmas, right? These are the type of stories that you heard. And, these, and, and now not to mention the financial responsibility. These mothers would do the work of two people as mom and dad at home. Are not ideal, but these men absolutely revered their mothers. Absolutely revered their mothers. And at the time, they'd say, you know, I probably didn't get it because, you know, they're kids. And now guys get older, and I talk to older, older guys, and as they become parents of their own, they understand how hard it is to be a, a, a parent. You go, wow, how did my mom do that? These are the type of testimony I remember hearing. 
but how hard it was. I remember recruiting and going to the home and, and talking to Dorothea, lovely mother in the Central Valley. I mean, just worked hard physically. She was in pain, but she took care of her son. I mean, wow. And oftentimes, talking to these players, these guys, someone oftentimes stepped in the gap. They talk about a grandpa or an uncle that, that, that kind of acted as a father figure type. And oftentimes for football players, it's football coaches. Coaches will act as the men in their lives to help direct these men, take care of them, teach them how to be a man. Okay, and they, these, are the, these are the type of figures that the, these, the players will talk about. It may not have been for the whole season of life, but a very developmental, fundamental period of their lives. Men will step in and help out in this way. To give some relief, some support to these faithful, hardworking, honorable single mothers. And in many ways, Joseph stood in the gap here. Joseph was ready to honorably let her go quietly, not to cause too much destruction to her. But he was ready to leave. But he obeyed God. He stood in the gap. This was not his son. But he would take care of Mary faithfully. He will take care of Jesus faithfully. And they will have natural children eventually together. And there's been testimony out of our church here at Evergreen SGV where faithful men have stepped in the gap. We have single mothers here who faithfully been, for whatever circumstance, been put in these situations, but faithfully taking care of their children, faithfully trying to uh, raise them up to love Christ Jesus. But there have been men who stepped in the gap. That's a beautiful picture. And just to the single mothers here today, we love you. I just want to, just a word of encouragement. God knows. I may not know and understand what that's like. I have some kind of a picture. I talk to people, but I don't even quite know what it's like. I understand that, but God knows. God knows. In Psalm 68, 5, Bible says, God is a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widow or a protector of the widow or an advocate of the widow, the defender of the widow, the champion for the widow. This is God. This is God the Father. This is the God that we follow. He understands. It's not an easy road. This is not an easy road, but I just encourage our mothers to continue on faithfully taking care of the people that you've been called to take care of. As a matter of fact, I feel led to pray for our mothers. Let's pray. Pray with me, please. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are the father to the fatherless. You, the, you are the protector, the advocate, the defender, the champion, the judge of the widow. God, I pray that we will cling on to these truths that you do know, you understand very clearly what's going on, and you are pleased that your faithful daughters are battling and staying in there, taking care of their families, Lord. So, Father, I pray for great encouragement during this Christmas time, great encouragement for these faithful sisters. Father, I pray for men to be risen up to step in the gap in some way. I thank you for the men, faithful men who stepped up at our church in the past, Lord. I thank you for these brothers. So, Father God, I pray, Lord, that for encouragement, let your word just absolutely scream encouragement and pour encouragement into the heart of these sisters. Thank you for those such as Dorothea, Lord. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So Mary worships the king during Christmas by simply obeying the king. This is what the heart of Christmas is about. And as, as Jason read the Magnificat, and the Magnificat is a song that Mary sings. Mary shows how to worship the king by singing praises to the king. And this is just moving along in Luke chapter 1. And Mary, in essence, go, after this announcement by Gabriel, she, go, she goes to go see Elizabeth. And to see this six-month-old, uh, six-month pregnant uh, woman. And she stays for three more months to, to help out with John the Baptist being born. And this has to have been encouraging to Mary to experience another miraculous type of birth. And, 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 and she breaks down to song and praise. And what I, as I studied this Magnificat, I, I discovered four, verse 40, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 55 is absolutely saturated with God's word. Mary, uneducated. Mary potentially couldn't read, but Mary committed biblical truth to memory, and she started singing these truths in song. At least, there's at least 13 references to Old Testament in this song. This woman was absolutely saturated with God's word. And I really appreciate, I uh, have a great appreciation for Pastor Terry, a worship pastor, who makes sure the songs that we sing on, on Sundays are theologically sound and strong. So we're singing truth. And this is Mary just singing truth, singing just uh, Bible after Bible. I mean, things of Hannah and talking about her miraculous conception with Samuel to Psalms to Genesis. It's there. She's just singing this song. It's just coming out of her heart. And I just, as I, as I think about Mary and that encounter with Gabriel, if you were Mary and an angel appeared to you, how do you know if this is an angel of the Lord or a demon talking to you? Right? I, I, it just, my mind came into like, this is a big commitment for her to go along with this plan. And obviously it would happen if it's of the Lord. But how do you go, okay, this is of the Lord. How do you determine that? And as I was studying th this Magnificat, I realized this woman was absolutely saturated with God's word. Bible says in 1 John 4, 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Mary understood God. Mary had the mind of God as she understood the Bible. She had Bible in her mind and heart. Verse 31 and 33 says this. This is a claim of, of Gabriel, of Luke chapter 1. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, King David's throne. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will, will have no end. It will be a forever kingdom. So as, as Mary heard this, I can't help but think that Mary was reminded of prophecy that she understood from the Old Testament. There's approximately 350, 350 Messianic Old Testament prophecies. In, and I can't help but think that she heard this one before, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. 
For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of, of peace on the throne of David over his kingdom, the kingdom of David, to establish and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, a forever kingdom. This is what Gabriel told Mary. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And then Mary asks, I am a virgin. How can this be? The Bible says, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And no doubt Mary heard of Isaiah 7, 14. says, therefore the Lord will give you a sign. What sign is this? Behold a virgin. She asks, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Doesn't that help knowing that? So if an angel appears to you and contradicts scripture, that is not an angel, that's a demon talking to you, okay? Doesn't this help? Mary was saturated with God's word and this sounded exactly what the Bible talked about. I believe Mary was able to discern that this is of the Lord and she was to submit because she was absolutely saturated with God's word. My question to us here, are you prepared to discern God's call in your life? Many of us may be in transition right now, work, marriage, different things going on in our lives. Are you saturated like Mary with God's word so that you're able to discern what God has for you? This is, do you have the mind of Christ? When you know the Bible, you have the mind of Christ put on. And perhaps is the king calling you to do something right now? Has he been calling you to do something, a new work, to go someplace I don't know. Just by saying yes, that's just the beginning though. All right? Because after you say yes and you commit to following God in this way, the king in this way, you have to actually live it out. So let's just kind of journey on with Mary here. Okay? So Mary worships the king by obeying the king. Mary worships the king by singing praises to the king. Now Mary worships the king by persevering with the king. Mary stood by God's plan even when it got extremely hard. So let's just kind of, let's kind of fast forward nine months, okay, to Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 20. This is where Jesus is born. This is where Jesus is born in Bethlehem. All right, Mary's perhaps 13 to 14 years old right now. Nine months pregnant, all right, and the scene moves to Bethlehem because uh, Caesar Augustus orders a census. Caesar was the king of the, uh, of the Roman Empire. said, so you want to take a census? And since Joseph was a, uh, from the line or a descendant of King David, King David's hometown was Bethlehem. David had to go to register in Bethlehem. Now, this is no easy task now. Mary is about nine months, close to nine months pregnant. And they have to take a 70-mile a trip, journey from northern Israel to southern Israel. No cars, no paved, easy paved roads. And she's very pregnant at this time. And Mary gives birth. And perhaps as I went to Israel last, uh, this past year, many of the people there think that the, the, where Jesus was born was perhaps like in a cave or a grotto. Right, so there's this a teenage girl away from home in a cave, getting ready to give birth. And so Mary must have been thinking, what is going on? 
She might be wondering, what is going on at this time? And there's these shepherds, strangers in, in the nearby field who, who hear revelation from an, from, angel, from an angel and hear the angels. The angels sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. What, did, what was this good news? For today in the city of David, Bethlehem, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so these, these shepherds, they come to see Mary and Joseph so they could see Jesus and, and they tell Mary what they've been told. And as this young teenager just gave birth, who knows what she's feeling and thinking at that time, God knew exactly what she needed. She needed encouragement. And right here in Luke chapter 2, 19, you might want to underline this because this, this these are these verses that give you encouragement during your hardships as you follow Christ Jesus. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. God was giving Mary fuel to keep going. Like, yes, I don't know if this is hard. This is maybe not quite exactly what I expected to be in a cave right now. But I see, thank you, Lord. This is what it's about. It's something bigger than me. This is about the king. God has a way of doing that for us. God was girding her up as life will continue to get harder. Before even getting started, I mean, uh, the Magi come in Matthew and talk to the King Herod, Herod the Great, who, was, who did incredible human achievements, but was a depraved, horrible man, was absolutely insecure about his, about his power and securing his power, heard about a king being born by the Magi. So he, he, he goes nuts. He goes crazy. And King Herod slaughters thousands of baby boys who are born kind of in that window. So an angel tells Joseph, hey, take the child and his mother, and you guys go to Egypt for a while. They did that. And who knows how Mary felt. Now she's not even in her own country. She's in Egypt with Joseph, with baby, and knowing that thousands of babies were slaughtered because of her baby. That's a hard road. Emotionally, how was she feeling at this time? Now let's fast forward 12 years now. Mary's perhaps maybe 12, 25 years old now. Okay, a young adult by our standards. And what's been going on in her life at this point? Hardships. Nazareth was a rural country town like we talked about in Galilee. Okay, there's way more privacy in the big city. Small town, everyone knows what's going on. Everyone's talking what's going on. And in John 8, 41, Jesus is called... A child born of fornication, an illegitimate child. Don't you think these things were talked about in, in Nazareth for these 12 years Mary was going through this? And it's interesting, other than Elizabeth, Mary's family is not mentioned. I don't know what happened, whether they put her out or they just were no longer part of her life. That's another hardship. What happened to them? But Mary said yes to God. And the costs were great. And so we fast forward to 12 years. Mary's about 25 years old now. And then now she's, she goes to Jerusalem for Passover. Okay, like any good Jewish person would go to Passover. They make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And during this time, this is this story where Jesus is in the temple, found. But Mary and Joseph leave with their caravan. And they go, hey, 
Mary, where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought you had Jesus, right? They traveled a day's journey and they came back. Oh my goodness, let's go find him. And they find him in the temple listening to the teachers and teaching them. And they were absolutely amazed, the Bible says. And what does Jesus say in Luke chapter 2? Well, let me just back up to Luke uh, chapter 2, 48. When they saw him, the parents saw him, Jesus, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Why have you done this? Any parent in you understands how this might feel, losing your child. Behold, your father and I have been anxiously, we've been worried about you. We've been looking for you. And this is Jesus' response. And he said to them, verse 49, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? In, un- in other words, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Mary, in other words, mother, didn't you forget why, we, why are you going through all this? That I'm the king and I have my father's business to do? And Mary's response, verse 51, same thing. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. Don't you think she needed this? God the Father was encouraging her. God was fathering her, taking care of her. Like, I'm going to give you the encouragement. I'm going to give you the, the fuel to keep going on, Mary. I know it's been a long road for these last 12 years. But you're part of something bigger than this life is about. And you may be in that mode right now where you feel misunderstood like Mary. Perhaps people are misunderstanding you. Maybe perhaps people are judging you. Perhaps, you, you know, they, that um, it's, go, it's a hard time right now. Perhaps you're going a hard time at work. Even your spouse doesn't quite understand what's going on. Perhaps relationally you're going through some hard things right now that no one really understands. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul writes, For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. In essence, Paul was saying, my conscience is what clears me. Before God, I know God knows the truth. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart. Only God could see people's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. God is the one who will judge me. God is the one who will vindicate me. Mary must be thinking, it's God, you do know. Everyone else is calling me all kinds of names, treating me all such ways, but God, I know you know. God knows. And Mary treasured these things in her heart because, God, I know you called me to do an incredible thing, to be part of this, something more cosmic than anything this world has to offer. The next time Jesus is mentioned in the book of Luke, he starts his public ministry 18 years later. And obviously, you know, Jesus would go to the cross. And by this time, Joseph is never mentioned. By this time, Mary has probably lost the love of her life. The one person that stood by her is gone now. Perhaps Joseph was the one that kind of helped keep, kept her going through this time. Now she's lost the love of her life. And now what is Mary left with? Mary is given prophecy that a sword will pierce her heart. And she must have carried this all her life. What does this mean? 
And then Jesus, at age 33, is hung on the cross, murdered, and Mary is there watching this happen. It's not getting any better. I've lost my husband. I lost my oldest son. It's not getting any better. She realizes what being pierced in her heart means. She's staring at it right there. So in essence, saying yes to God can be a long journey. It can be an incredibly long journey. And as as we've heard preached from the pulpit, there's many J-curves along the way where there's a lot of hardships. But I believe God gives us these upward swings, these encouragements to keep us going. What are we called to do, church families? To persevere, to trust in the king, to keep staying with the king, to keep obeying the king, keep singing praises to the king. This is what the heart of Christmas is about. It's about worshiping the king. What encouragement has God given you? I know we could think of things. As, as, as my family, is, we're in transition. We're a year and a half into this calling that we've accepted. You know, I, I, as a father, I'm trying to keep, keep pointing out to my children, to my wife, the little bits and pieces of encouragement God gives us. We need these. We need these. Yes, we believe in our Christ Jesus, but we need little bits of encouragement to keep us going. What encouragement has God given you? And there's no doubt Mary held on tightly with all her might to this treasure that she treasured in her heart. And what did she treasure? What did Mary actually treasure? This is what she treasured, that Jesus is the greatest treasure of her life. Jesus is worth more than her reputation. Obviously, Jesus is worth more than her community. Obviously, Jesus is worth more than than her comfort or having this ideal life that the world says she needs to have. Evidently, she's willing to give that up because Jesus is, in fact, the greatest treasure of all. And this is Advent season, and Advent means coming. We're not anticipating Jesus being born again. Okay, that, that's, a, that's a one-time event. It's happened. Praise God. We're looking backwards at that event. We're looking backwards at the event on the cross. What we're looking forward to, what we're looking forward to coming is the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he comes as the king ready to establish his kingdom and rule forever. What, 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 what Gabriel was talking about, behold, he will be great. Jesus, the essence of greatness. He will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no, no end. This is what we're looking for. This is what Mary longed to see. This is what Mary was looking forward to. This is what Mary treasured in her heart. This is what kept Mary going. And Mary was clearly part of God's cosmic plan. But we are, all, all of us, all of us Christians, all of his people who, are, who decided and committed to following Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior are part of this cosmic plan. And just like in the all-church conference study uh, uh, series that we went through at, at, the, uh, at the conference, it's about his story, and we get to be part of his tapestry somehow. And this is, what we're, this is why we celebrate Christmas. The king has been born, and not only that, he's coming back. And this is what keeps us going. This is why we meet on Sundays, to keep reminding ourselves the king is coming back, and our role is to worship him. How do we worship him? Mary showed us. We worship him by obeying him, the king. How do we worship the king? We sing praises to the king. How do we worship the king? We continue to persevere with the king. This is how this works. We have a beautiful picture of what this looks like through this Christmas narrative. Christ Jesus is king.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are coming back. Not only do we celebrate how you came 2,000 years ago, we celebrate that you will become, and anticipate that you will be coming back to establish your kingdom forever, where there will be peace and all the things that Mary suffered through, all the things that many of us are suffering through right now. We have you to look forward to. We have that moment to look forward to. So, Lord Jesus, I pray you continue to crystallize our faith in you. And by your power of your Holy Spirit, I pray we will worship you by being obedient. I pray that we will worship you by singing and speaking praises to you. And I pray by your spirit that we would be persevering in you, Lord Jesus, the King. So, Father, I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. May we love you even more. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.